Welcome to the Rally Point Podcast, where we equip you to support others. I'm Bobby Jackson. And I'm Noah Throw. And today, we're going to be talking about what kinds of things we want to consider when we reach students in our ministries as they go through different stages of development. Bobby and I will be having a conversation with our former professor about approaching students where they're at developmentally and learning ways to help them engage with their faith in whatever stage of life they're in. I'm super excited to have Mrs. Elizabeth Smith on the call with us. Uh, I'm still not totally comfortable calling her by her first name, which is super funny. It's been like a lot of years since I was at Moody. So I like still call you Mrs. Smith. I'm just, you've had a huge influence on me. I met my wife in your class. and, And honestly, you planted seeds in me that developed in my heart and has built in me the passion for loving students and watching them grow. And, and especially, I just love some of the stuff we're going to talk about today because it, it has informed my ministry over and over and every conversation I have with students and every conversation I have with parents. Yeah, it was crazy hearing from Bobby before I went to Moody about this teacher that he met his uh, wife in her class and then jumping in and, and just first day being like, oh man, Mrs. Smith, here she is. Just phenomenal time. And I think I took one class every year besides my freshman year. So three years straight, I just was looking forward to getting into her classes and she just goes above and beyond and really creates an environment where where students can learn and think about things biblically. And she really invests in students and wants to form them um, just how to love the Lord really well. Yes. We are super excited to have Professor Elizabeth Smith, who is a licensed clinical professional counselor, the field chair of education and counseling at Moody Bible Institute and the program head for children and family ministry. She's also the author of the blog, Teachable Moments with Elizabeth Smith, and the author of the book, God Never Changes, But My Family Always Does. She's been a pastor's wife for over 30 years, and she's the mother of three adult children. And uh, we're just so blessed and excited to have her on the show. So, Professor Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I can say unequivocally that you two are by far my favorite students out of all the years I've taught, obviously. (laughs) That's just an obvious shout out there to both of you. And it's just so exciting to see what God is doing through you in the kingdom and that we're all working together for his glory uh, and the benefit of others. So thanks so much for having me on today. I I consider it a great privilege and honor. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So we could get into so many different topics and so many different Mm -hmm. tangents because you are an absolute wealth of information and wisdom. But we wanted to bring up the idea of developmental stages and especially dive into those because I know you helped form every bit of my understanding of trying to see kids at the same time through both good psychology and good theology and marrying the two all the time. And so there are a couple of stages that I think people in in ministry and parents especially struggle to understand. And having a good developmental understanding can change the way that we parent, can change the way that we lead. So we could get into all of the stages, but that will be way too much for a 40-minute episode. So we're going to ask you just specifically about the adolescent stages. I I think the way that you break it down is into three pieces, early adolescence, middle adolescence, and late adolescence. Essentially what what becomes middle school, high school, and college. Um, and And then we have just kind of some questions in those contexts. So we'll kind of break our podcast up into these three chunks, and we'll start off talking about early adolescence, middle school, those ages 12-ish to 15-ish. 
Um, and they all come in different shapes, sizes. They have all sorts of different attitudes. What, what do we need to know uh, about God that will impact the lives of these students specifically in this age bracket? Well, in early adolescence, everything is becoming new again. Uh, their bodies are radically changing. Their brains are radically changing. And one of the big changes is they begin to see potential and possibility in ways mm. that they didn't when they were younger. So when they're younger and the imagination is ripe and flourishing, all things are possible. So if you were to tell even a nine-year-old, all things are possible with God, they're like, sure, of course. But when <laughs> you tell someone who's 11, 12, and 13, they will probably go, really? Are all things possible? Really? Like, hmm. is there a, a rock big enough God can't pick up? Hmm. And they start asking these abstract scenarios and questions. And as they go into that time, that can be very confusing for them because mm -hmm. uh, it is opening. It's kind of like in The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to color in the old mm -hmm. movie. They begin to see things in a whole new way. And that mm -hmm. confusion can actually bring about a sense of insecurity and fear. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. And they are just beginning to think about big pictures about, well, what does that really mean? You know, we look at the evil and the pain of the world and where is God in that? And as they begin to contemplate this and they're finding that life is not as simple as it was in third grade, it's just not as simple. And they also become very aware that everybody else around them probably has an opinion about themselves and they're afraid of that imaginary audience, it's important for them to know that while life may feel out of control, God is not. God mm. is omniscient. He knows everything. And God is good. So in knowing everything and in being God, we can trust him because of his character. So we begin to teach them that when you can't understand God's hand, what he does, you can always trust his heart. And when I don't understand and I don't have the answers, God does. He knows everything at all moments in time. Do not diminish the bigness of God to your early adolescent. God is big. And sometimes we're like, well, God can be your pal. He can be your friend. It's true. We call God our father. But when you take God off the throne, you then bring them to say, well, we want them to relate to God. Yes, but if you take him too far off the throne, then God's power and omniscience and omnipotence, the all powerfulness, the all being of God, that's where they find a lot of their security. There needs to be somebody bigger and more competent in control. And when they trust in a God who is good and is in that position of power and control, then they find that security. They begin to form their identity in him then when the rest of life becomes very confusing, they have a safe place to run to. And so we establish that authority and goodness and power of God so that their insecurity has an answer of security in God himself. Well, as you're listening to our conversation with Mrs. Smith, maybe you're thinking about your own ministry and the hurting students around you. Helping those students find healing can be complicated, and wisdom like we're hearing today about the stages of development can be incredibly helpful, both as a leader and for your ministry. Absolutely, and that's why RallyPoint created the Regroup curriculum. 
Regroup is a program that equips ministry leaders who want to help hurting students. It's a simple, developmentally appropriate program written to help people work through difficult things like pain, addiction, and grief. When you buy the curriculum, you'll be equipped with everything you need as a leader to start helping hurting students heal. So if you're a leader who wants to help hurting students in your ministry, but maybe doesn't feel prepared or is anxious about saying the wrong thing, we think Regroup can help. You can buy the program or learn more by visiting rallypointmin.com slash regroup. You sort of touched on this, but what do we need to know about where the adolescent is that sort of helps us communicate who God is and and how he works in our lives. You touched on it earlier there where, you know, we say all things are possible with God and then they say, really, are they? So a student asks us that, how do we start communicating to them in that space and start saying, well, look at this, here's how he works practically to these to these students? I, I love how you asked that question about how God works practically, because I think that that's what they're seeking. And a lot of times when we ask a question, that's what we want. We want a very practical answer. But life isn't always that neat and tidy. There's not always a practical answer. So helping adolescents first to sit with them in that it is difficult. That's a hard question. I can see why you'd ask that. That is interesting, isn't it? To wonder, is there a rock big enough that God can't lift up? Stay with them in their question and where they're at. Don't become the uh, question and answer relationship where they ask a question and I give an answer um, because mm. you're not there. We want to we want to build that human relationship with them in which we certainly don't have all the answers, but we know that God does. So let's approach him together. So honor where they're at, honor their emotions of frustration. Don't look at their questions as stupid or silly, or why would you even ask an impossible question? That's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. Um, Humiliating, embarrassing, belittling, demeaning, those attitudes we need to be very, very far away from. Don't roll your Mm. eyes at them, but take them seriously. Honor them with respect Mm. and then start with their question and go, you know, as before I even jump in into an answer, as you ask that question, can you tell me what you're thinking? Like, I'm, I would really love to hear what you're thinking before I jump into that. When they're littler, we are directing them. We are giving children directive. You will wear the red shirt or the blue shirt. I'm still giving you a choice, but it's either the red or the blue, right? We're telling, a lot of telling when they're little. Because mm. to parent them, we are to give them direction. They're, they're not to a point where they can make all those decisions themselves. But you need to move mm. away from directing to guidance when they're in early adolescence. And I want to guide you. But in doing so, it's much more instead of me holding your hand and walking you through a parking lot. Instead, I'm going to walk beside you as we navigate mm. this together. It's a slower process. And we don't always end up with a conversation in which it's all nice and tidy. And sometimes if they bring heartbreaking scenarios like so-and-so rejected me at school, that we don't run away from those painful emotions. That really hurts. So I'm going to be sad with you. I, Hmm. I love when scripture says rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn with those who mourn, bear with one another. So all of our one another's in scripture really come into play in a very unique and and important way in that early adolescent relationship that we have with them. Because as they ask questions about their body, going through puberty, anybody enjoy that? 
No, nobody enjoys going through puberty in middle school. Nobody. If you did, I think you're lying because I don't really understand why anybody would enjoy it. But that because the change is so big. So let it feel yucky, but be with them. See what they're thinking, because we want to start teaching those critical thinking skills then, which means I go from directing to guidance, from answering right away to allowing the question to sit and do the work that it needs to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, I love how you talk about giving a response to their question rather than becoming an answer person, you know, and engaging them in that conversation and also giving them space to work through it when they approach you rather than just saying, you know, black and white, A or B, here's the answer, you know, and really starting that dialogue is great. Yeah. So this is also the stage or the age where a lot of people will trace backward when they started to feel separated from their parents. This is where a lot of parents struggle to continue to connect. Like they, they'll often say, you know, we used to have such a close relationship, but now dot, dot, dot. This is where kids often get stubborn or have their own opinions or start to individuate. You know, there, there's a lot more standoffs. Can you help us understand what's, what's happening developmentally that we as leaders or as parents need, need to notice, need to key in on that, that will help us understand what, what's going on and, and how can we keep those lines of communication open at this age? There's a key psychosocial aspect to relationships between adults and early adolescents called de-idolization. Uh, the adolescent begins to de-idolize the adults in their life. So when they're little, like in a, I could have, I said, I could have been an elementary school mom my entire life. I love the elementary school. I could have, I mean, if they could have just stayed that age, it would have been great because mm. I was pretty nigh perfect in their eyes and it mm. was amazing. But as they go into adolescence, uh, they take us off the pedestal yeah. and they realize that we're not perfect. And as they try to figure out their own identity and who they are, it inevitably results in some kind of conflict. Conflict should not be seen as bad but as an opportunity to work out some things and to figure out how people think and feel. It's a discovery process more so than a battle, hopefully. But that conflict is something that's new for adults to deal with because it's very hard to come off of that throne. So one of the things I tell parents as well as leaders, allow yourself to grieve. It's very yeah. sad because there's an innocence that is also lost. I remember um, our oldest, uh, when we had to tell them about how sex worked and how God made babies and their body and what they were going to be experiencing, I knew afterwards, my husband go, why are you crying? I go, because he will never not know. He will never, ever not know again. What he has, what we have just told him opens up a whole other world. And when you open up that whole other world, which it has to be opened up. And as parents, we want to be the one to open up that door in their gender and sexual identity. He, we never get to close it again. Once it's open, it's open. And that loss of innocence is, is a bit heartbreaking and it's hard. And then as they also come back and they have questions or they, they have that conflict. It's such a different relationship that you truly miss those little child years in which you held their hands and you kept them safe. And you said, believe this and do this and you're going to be okay. Because I knew once we opened that door, it was no longer so much in my hands. I no mm. longer had as much control to make them feel and be okay. 
And so giving mm-hmm. up and you have to give up that control. You have to mm-hmm. go more from directing to influence, but there's a grieving process that the adult goes through. And yeah. it's okay also for the parent or the youth pastor or the youth leader go, I don't always like these kids because as they're trying to find their voice and ask these questions, maybe they don't mean to be rude because maybe they don't know what rude is. Mm. Maybe they don't mean to be disrespectful because they, they haven't really, they haven't played around with that idea yet. They've just been obedient or they've just been following. Now, as they become their own person, we have to tell them, hey, the way you just spoke to me, whether you intended it or not, that was rude. That was disrespectful. You know, that's condescending. And now we're giving them definitions Mm. and saying, and that is not okay. That is wrong. In God, God does not allow us to treat one another like that. And that leans back into your one another verses. How does God expect us to treat one another? And it's not just our behavior. It is also our heart. Our heart toward one another needs to be God glorifying. It needs to be godly to God and good. And they don't always know what that is. So in order for them to get a clear definition of what is godly and good, they're going to have to make mistakes and they're going to have to sin. And it's going to feel really, really bad. And we have to allow it to feel bad, but to not allow our emotions to dictate our responses to these children. Then that's still, they're still very, very young. I need to be the adult. So I'm going to show them what respect looks like, even when you're disrespectful to me. I'm going to show you how to be calm and reasonable, even when you're flying off the handle. And it is an incredibly hard thing to do on a consistent basis as an adult. It's incredibly hard. And so I have great empathy for that, where most of the time, if you're raising early adolescents, you're just going to be exhausted and frustrated. And that is where you need your own friends and your own adults and other people that you can go to and go, I just had a really bad day, or I'm about ready to kill this kid. And in two two years ago, they were (laughs) wonderful. And now I'm just like, when are they going to move out? Yeah. Any parent who's totally honest is going to tell you how hard it is to go over this bridge between childhood and adulthood. And that's what it is. That's what adolescence is. It's a bridge going from childhood to adulthood. Early adolescence is the first part of the bridge. We're just getting on the bridge. Mm. Middle adolescence, you're at the top of the bridge. And late adolescence going into emerging adulthood, we are trying to get off the bridge and and launching them into mm. the adult world. Well, that's I mean, that's the perfect analogy is that long journey over a big bridge. And so kind of moving along that bridge into that stage of middle adolescence, once the kids are into high school, sort of entering that stage of discovery of identity and they're becoming more independent, they get their driver's license. So they they are leaving the house a little bit more. So you get a little relief there. What do we need to know, again, about God that will impact the lives of students once they're in that middle adolescent stage in that high school, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 kind of age? This is where in looking at the middle adolescent or the high schoolers faith, we're going to really be able to see what it is rooted in because they're going to have to figure out who their authority is. So we talked about in early adolescence, the omniscience and the bigness of God, and that he is there as they deal with all those insecurity. As they move into that middle adolescence and they start making uh, big decisions, what is their relationship with others sexually going to be? What is their gender? What are they going to do once they're behind the wheel of a car? What relationship or choices are they going to make with alcohol and drug use and curfews and so uh, other temptations of the world that just get bigger on the internet? The question is, what is what is their position of authority? Where where are they, where is the authority they go to to find mm. their values, and what who are they really committed to? 
And it really comes down to this in any human's life. Are we committed to ourselves or are we committed to God? Now, if I'm committed to myself, then I'm going to do what I want and what I think is going to benefit me. I, I, me, me, me. And so if I think I'm at a party and I will be more popular if I drink, because I'm so committed to me, I'm probably going to drink. Oh, does that mean I'm, it's illegal. I could get in trouble. I could be kicked out, out of band or out of the football team, or I could end up getting the uh, car from the, you know, the keys from the car taken away from me. I, I don't even at this point, because they're, I'll tell you, the, the beginning, the brain is still very immature as far as judgment. They have to decide where is your source of authority coming from? Is it going to be yourself or hmm. is it going to be God? Are you going to be more committed to him than your own perceptions of yourself? And then that's really what sin is, is when I am more concerned about myself than God. This is where we have those conversations of hmm. when they do sin, they drink if they're not supposed to, or they're doing things they shouldn't, is to have those conversations about their relationship with God. Where is he? Is he is he just a a part of your group? Is he someone you sometimes connect with? Is it do you think about him occasionally, or or is he the center of your life? If he's not the center of your life, if he's not on the throne of your life, why not? And again, hmm. we stay in conversation with them, and in having those conversations, you need to be a safe place that they can run and tell you, this is what I've done wrong. Hmm. Whatever it was, we wanted them to come to us. And in order to be safe enough, we've built that relationship of conversation. I would say then also for them, not only who is the true authority of your life, but having a prayer life in which these, these students know that they can run to God at any time. He is always with you. I love that one of the, I love a lot about Jesus, but the one thing I really love <laughs> is before Jesus died and rose again, he told them, I will be with you. And then he even said, as God... Uh, someone will be sent to you, the comforter, the counselor who will always be with you. You're never alone. And if they can know that God is with you, the Holy Spirit that we cannot see, but when we make that commitment to God through Christ as our savior and the Holy Spirit lives in me, he is always with me, able to help me fight every temptation, able then that I can run to in prayer. And that doesn't mean that every time we ask for something, God gives it to us. He's a good father. Sometimes he allows us to fail, but we can, we can run to him. The spirit is with us. And so helping them to understand the authority of their life and then who they go to, to determine their values and choices, but then also knowing that it is a God that we run to and that we pray with and he empowers and he equips us and that we are adults who help them to deepen that relationship with God. Again, going over the gospel of who is your authority? Have you claimed Christ as your savior? And if so, what does that practically mean in our lives? And then having conversations with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's valuable. I can remember specifically in my high school career, probably my junior, senior year of high school when I was driving around and I had friends from all different walks of life and, and there were definitely really good friends I had who <laughs> we we were not doing things that you, you do on Tuesday night at youth group and I would come home and sometimes, you know, just having that space where I knew that my parents would listen and they wouldn't judge me. And then we would have a conversation about, you know, what do I do in these situations when I feel tempted or when I start engaging in something or, you know, what does it look like to remain focused on my ultimate calling and loyalty in that moment, which is to the Lord. So that's, that's mm. so valuable. Yeah. Oh. I mean, this is the space where they're developing their identity and their primary relationship. So you're, you're talking about helping shape both of those things uh, in these conversations. But in, in my experience, it's really common for parents to swing too far in a couple of ways, and they end up losing that safe space. So, so a lot of parents, I, I think, 
go too far to too much shaming. And so then the kid doesn't want to talk to them because they know they're everything they do, they're going to get condemned. Or there's too much like a, a controlling or authoritarianism or helicopter parenting or whatever phrase you, you want to use. So like they, every behavior is controlled. You can't do that. You can't do that, that directive stuff. Or it's like too much free for all. There's no conversation. It's like you, you, you can do whatever you want. So how do you, how do you avoid all of those pitfalls or pendulum swinging or however you see it and, and create that safe space for the development of a healthy identity and, and primary relationships? I come alongside parents and let them know that uh, this is probably the benefit of my age and having raised three children that are now in their adult and two of them are married and um, I get it. I get why you would want to control. I I get why. I mean, Bobby, you're a parent now. Can yeah. you ever imagine one day not wanting to hold her hand and keep her safe? Is there ever a moment in your life when you're going to want to let go and just say, well, whatever happens, happens? No, no. there's no way. No. So the hardest thing is letting go of that hand. Mm. And it's, it's horrible. And because mm. you are so emotionally, I mean, a good parent, a good leader who works with youth is emotionally, spiritually, and mentally invested in these students, yeah. which means then because they are bigger kids, like when they're little kids, little risks, bigger kids, bigger risks, the choices they can make can ruin the rest of their life. It can totally wow. change the tra trajectory of their life. And as an adult, you see this domino effect. Part of being in middle adolescence and high school, they don't see the domino effect. They don't. Maybe if they do, they're like, oh, if this domino falls down, then maybe the next two will fall down. It's like, no, no, no. See, if you make that choice, your whole life can be totally changed. But that's where of saying that this is how frustrating it can mm. be to be in a relationship with a high school student because they don't see all these major domino effects and what can happen in the long run. And out of that fear, parents can humiliate and control and belittle or get to the point where I, I just can't, it's killing me to care so much. So I'm just going to give up, do whatever you want. I just don't care anymore. I'm going to walk away. So the pendulum effect, there's a reason parents do what they do. And so sometimes when there is a challenge relationship mm. between both the high schooler and the parents is mm. to slow down and go, it's important in that sense of empathy that we try to put ourselves in each other's shoes. And even though the thinking of the high schooler, we, we would cons still consider it immature just in the brain development, is to try to realize your parents probably didn't raise you or have a relationship with you right now so that they can ruin your life. They probably don't wake up in the morning going, how can I totally tick this kid off, right? How can I totally make their life horrible? What they're probably thinking is, I so love them that I would do anything for them. But out of that emotional depth of feeling, they at times react in sinful and unhelpful ways. And I feel for parents because you got to take a deep breath. And those who are leaders also, I'm like, you know what? You're right. They can make choices that could totally ruin the rest of their life or change the trajectory. And that is where we as adults have to take a deep breath going, I trust in God more than this. God is there even when we don't understand him. The mystery of God is something we lean into, but we can run to him. We can pray. We can believe. And hopefully those, those truths are as helpful to the adults as well as to the high schooler. But the other thing I would say is that as adults, make sure that we keep our expectations for our high schoolers relatively low. They are still, mm -hmm. the brain isn't fully developed until you're 25. 
they are only 15 to 19, they still have a lot of neuron development to go in their brain. They are not going to see the domino effect. They are not going to make critical decisions as a mature and as in a developed way as an adult would. That's where we still come alongside and we encourage. And in our own relationship with God, we find a security when we feel like life is kind of falling apart for all of us as they traverse those high school years. Hmm. Wow. I think that's that's incredibly helpful. So thank you. <laughs> I love it. I, I also want to ask about the next stage. A couple of weeks ago, we had a chance to talk with uh, our buddy Chris Lash from Judson University in an, in an episode where we talked about preparing kids for a changing world as they become adults. Because the world is changing faster than ever with technology, with iPhones, with apps, all of the different things. There's so much information coming at them. There's, there's so many things that are difficult to manage and the transitions are just getting, getting quicker and quicker and quicker. So what do we need to know for this, this last stage, the late adolescent stage, the just post high school, the, the college years or early adulthood, that late adolescent stage? What do we need to know about where these young people are developmentally? How do we talk to them? What do they need to know about, about themselves theologically? What, what are the pitfalls we're going to run into? And help us understand what, what we need to know for this next group. So an older adolescent, um, their psychosocial crisis is, at least from theory, would say that as they're continuing to work on their identity, they're also looking for intimacy for those relationships with others mm -hmm. and, an emotional, and an emotional depth that they haven't had before. And they're looking to figure out what am I going to commit to? So there's three main questions that every human basically confronts at some point and early adoles late adolescence tends to when they hit it most. Who is my maker? Hopefully Jesus Christ is their savior and they know our triune God as the God who is their maker and they're committed to him and their relationship with God. Uh, the second is what is their mission? What will they do with their life? And so many times older adolescents are in college or in a trade school or starting a job. So what is their mission? What will they be doing? And the third is who is their mate? And then these are their intimate relationships, the who they're dating, how they see themselves, their close friends, and they start making those emotional commitments to others. So as they look at all of these three big life issues, I would encourage them to remember that God is a jealous God, which may be surprising, but that knowing that God is jealous, in other words, he so desires us, so desires that relationship with us. And if we know him, we are his children. He is incredibly protective and caring at all times. So that knowing God is jealous, lovingly protective and caring of us at all times will help those later adolescents know that whether others want them or not, whether they go for that job interview and they're turned down, whether they want to date someone and that person says no, no matter what happens in the world as they deal with rejection and these big issues of life, that God is always going to stand up for them, love them, want them, and chooses them. There needs to be somebody who is always in my corner because they will experience rejection at a deeper, more painful level at this later adolescent stage than they have previously throughout their life. So I would say God being jealous is actually a great quality to consider uh, as they try to figure all those big things out. That's fantastic. I love, I love it. 
you're just such a delight to have just dump these these one-liners, this wisdom as we're trying to process at like super speed with you. These things, I'm going to go back and listen to this like three or four times and take notes on everything that you've said, because these are stages, these are questions that we have. These are encounters we're having with our students as we answer like the big questions and we try to create a space for all of this processing. And I think that's the beautiful thing is it is a process that's unique to every every kid, but it's also within God's story of their lives. Like we're all in this one big story. And so th- these themes of like, yeah, as you develop your sense of intimacy, as you as you develop these relationships, there is an end goal. There is a purpose. There is a hope. And so I love the way that you talk about guiding these conversations because it, it, it has this big picture while still caring for the individual. So a kid can be, you know, super accommodating, super easy, super chill, or they can be the kid that we struggle with. And there's like space for all of that. And I, and I love that about the width of your answer, but the depth of the way you talk as well. Mm. I, I just love hearing your passion. I, it's just, I have been transformed by you. And I think Bobby would say the same thing as you taught us over the yeah, course of absolutely. years at Moody. And so just hearing that continue to shine through you is so valuable. And, you know, just throughout the course of the show, we've interviewed a number of people. And I think the thing that, that we keep coming up against is, hey, let this sink into the depths of your soul so that you are changed, so that when you want to reach out to others, they are changed, not by you, but by the way the Lord has changed you as he uses mm-hmm. you in their lives. And I just think it's continuously valuable. You have been just such a treasure and, and, and such a huge impact on our lives and the way that you've been transformed by the Lord and impacted us. And we're just so thankful that you were able to join us today and mm-hmm. give us this wisdom and be able to tell us and, and equip us to really um, transform the lives of students. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, those are encouraging words and I receive those and I, I'll let those seep into my soul as well. It's always good to know as brothers and sister in Christ that God is is using us where to encourage one another that. And so to encourage you right back, I know that God is using you in mighty ways um, and to continue. I, I just pray that you will continue to trust him, that God every step of the way is leading you into deeper and more profound ministry for him. Mm. I know that he is using you well, and I'm so grateful to be in kingdom work with you. So thanks for the privilege today. One of the things I really love about Elizabeth and the way she speaks is the seamless manner that she interweaves her theology and her psychology, like these really critical ideas of the stages of development and how the stages of development, understanding them informs the way that we talk with young people and shape environments and create safe places for conversations and at the same time, give good counsel and advice and direction. I I love just the constant interweaving of God's story in our lives and how that helps shape our identity. It helps shape our young people's identity and and even our own. It's inspiring to me. I don't know, a lot of times, no, I think I I tend to get really maybe overly churchy and maybe segmented or or compartmentalized. Oh, this is my theology and that's my psychology. And she just does this this beautiful interweaving of of the worlds. She literally said the word pneumatology and then said, it's the Holy Spirit. And we have to consider that because we need to know how that impacts students. So she took like literally a massive theological word and then tied it into, and that helps students cope with 
yeah. you know, going yeah. through difficult times. And she's just so good at interweaving those things. I think mm-hmm. one thing that she really embodies to me in the way she speaks and just her persona is she really embodies this both and that I think we see in scripture and through God's personality where, you know, she's all about, we need to love these students. We also, we need to challenge these students. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, hey, we need to be tender hearted. We also need to be thick skinned. And she says, hmm. you know, she's so confident and she's so bold, but she's absolutely humble um, about, hey, I have so much more to learn, you know? Hmm. And I just think that is a really, really rare and, combination and owns her in somebody. And her failures, yeah. 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 Mrs. Smith is so good at integrating theology and psychology into approaching students wherever they're at in whatever stage of development they're in and as leaders it's important for us to consider those stages of development as we work with people and we have an incredible resource that can help you with that it's a guide that walks you through the stages of development and will help you evaluate how to respond as you work with students around you to get that guide go to rallypointmen.com podcast and subscribe with your email You'll get a link where you can download this resource and you'll get others that we've created just for you. And if you like what you heard today, please rate or review this podcast. By doing that, you can empower more leaders with tools that can help them to support others. And also, we want to hear from you. So tell us how this episode has helped you or what challenges you might be facing that we could cover next. Send us an email to hello at rallypointmin.com. Thank you so much for listening. 